Welcome to Sacrifice and Success, a podcast that looks at what we give up in order to thrive. I'm John Hegarty, chairman of Soho-based independent media agency, Electric Glue. In this series, I'm talking to people from the creative industries about what they have sacrificed to be where they are today. With me in the studio today is Joel Culpepper, R&B singer and songwriter, known for his raw, charismatic and captivating musical storytelling with a distinct set of vocals. In the last year, Joel decided to give up his full-time job as a learning mentor helping vulnerable children with behavioural difficulties to focus solely on his music with an aim to inspire the children he had once worked with. Joel, great to have you today. What an intro. Thank you for having me, John. (laughs) Do you recognise that guy? (laughs) He's somewhere around, yeah. (laughs) So tell me, this is about, um, you know, this whole series is, is about what you have to sacrifice to succeed. And we kind yeah. of live in a world today where people think they can have everything without any effort and I can just do it and I can be famous and I can go on X Factor and, oh, I could do all of that yeah, totally. without any any sense of sacrifice. So just as a quick start, have you sacrificed anything today to get here? Yes, I am. Um, what did I sacrifice? I suppose my, my, my fear initially getting on the tube and train... <laughs> How was it? Get rid of that. Um, Yeah, it was fine. I mean, you know, we're adjusting, aren't we, into a a new world. And um, I guess uh, sacrificing some of my sleep. uh, um, I I got to bed a bit late last night. So um, you were worried about this, weren't you? You were worried about, (laughs) oh my, oh my God, what am I going to say? I've got to get. Yeah. Are you a morning person or an evening person? I am both. You're both. Yeah, I think I'm some sort of hybrid. Uh, you know, nocturnal early bird. I just I'm up very early and I'm I'm uh, go to bed very very late. Um, I do nap. Uh, that does happen from they time to time. They say that's one of the secrets, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's for interesting sure. actually. I found in my work, I, in I'm better at ideas first thing in the morning. Yeah. Maybe it's my brains refreshed by sleep, and totally, yeah. by the end of the day, it's completely knackered. I've yeah. you know sacrificed all of that, and I can't do any more. But I, I found I I liked getting in early and getting ahead of the day. Yeah, but that's totally. that's that's fantastic. So tell me, Joel, you became a a, a learning mentor yes. for children. This was a, a fantastic uh, thing to do for children with learning difficulties. How did you get into that? Where where did you? Um, it sort of happened um, by accident, in all honesty. Um, I needed a part-time job, I think, when I was around 19, 20, and I started working for a preschool. A friend of mine was working at our sort of local preschool in Lewisham, and um, it's a line of work I just stayed with, you know. Um, I had a good rapport with some of the parents. I enjoyed working with the kids, and then it sort of moved into working with children with behavioral problems and uh, challenges and them not being able to access their learning in a, in a normal classroom setting. And I think I just identified with those children through my own experiences in school and not always feeling understood. You know, um, I suppose music and performance was definitely bubbling as I was in sort of early secondary school and during you know maths 
for example, um, you know, I remember being shouted at. I remember being told off often, my mum being down to school often because my focus wasn't there. And I think it's because it was planted in other things. And, you know, I think if I had somebody there to intercept um, before I got that punishment or consequence to allow me to understand, well, you're interested in this right now, but perhaps, you know, we can channel it in this way or, you know, having something external besides just the subject matter going on. So that that's kind supported. Of, that's really interesting, that, isn't it? Because I, I, I generally think that the educational system fails so many kids Absolutely. because it expects you to fall into a certain pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't no. you know a lot of people don't learn that way they learn in different ways totally. and so there you were you have obviously you have this great creative skill you didn't realize how to express it at that moment in yeah. time somebody's in there teaching you maths yeah. which... he, he definitely didn't think it was a skill at the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well you know the other thing too is I, I you know i went to um I, I went to art school and then from art school to design school. Yeah. And I went to, when I went to art school, I'm, I'm a lot older than you, Joel. So, you know, so that, good, so it good. was like 19, in the 60s. Yeah. Um, you know, art was considered a nice thing, but it wasn't really a serious job. Yeah. I mean, you were, you know, it'd be nice to have a few artists around and paint a few pictures, but it wasn't seen in a way that it is now. Yeah. Now we realize the creative industries are a tremendous benefit to the nation economically and socially and all of those things and there you were in a in a sort of an educational structure that was mm. sort of trying to make you something else and not recognizing that perhaps the way we have to teach somebody is different yeah. for those people but yeah. you took that that sacrifice you made there oh, you yeah. took that learning into being a, a, a mentor for yeah a i think i found a purpose when working in the school in recognizing some of the things you've just mentioned and um, seeing the gap between why that particular child doesn't want to learn and the punishment or the consequence about to follow. And, you know, I'd often buffer the, the sort of confrontation between um, the, the child and the teacher, which can get quite confrontational, you know, especially in a, um, a sort of school environment where you've got 20 children in the classroom and one isn't listening and it's a stressful environment. And I think, you know, I, I, I suppose I'm naturally a, a bit of a patient person. I like to read a situation first, gather the information and then kind of make a, a, a view or, or have a viewpoint on things. And it, it, I think that aided me in supporting the school in the way, um, for those particular children and I think I also from that experience I also I felt that at the time I was doing it for them and I didn't realize it was an exchange I think I was also learning from them that's and interesting understanding yeah. Yeah. even who I was in particular situations and um yeah just an appreciation for um how their viewpoints are yeah. and how they look look at the world and yeah it's a it great definitely... way of looking at teaching isn't it as an exchange it is an exchange 100%. you know that, that that you're imparting knowledge but actually you're learning totally from these i often kids. smiled and laughed to myself at some of the really profound things that 
they would come out with and that would just hit you know the nail on the head and make yeah. me feel like wow that was really really insightful and it's changed me you know that's yeah. some that's a sort of mark isn't that brilliant yeah, that's a, yeah. i'll use that <laughs> it's <laughs> yours <laughs> only, someone once said to me john only steal good stuff you know like, <laughs> yeah i love that but yeah. that but that's that's a wonderful way of looking at it that sense of you know we we live in a society where it's winners and losers as opposed to trying to look at a society where we're all winners yeah. in some sense or another because right, yeah. we want this multidisciplined, complex and involving and uh, a world where people do different things, offer different values to things and having a kind of rigid kind of this is right, this is wrong, mm. it, it reduces us all really and that totally. sense of um, finding ways to make us all winners is very good. I, You know, I... I used to say, I got asked a question once and somebody said to me, uh, what's the best book to read on business? And I, and I said, well, I find it very sad that so many business leaders will, will cite The Art of War mm. as their favourite business book. In other words, somebody's got to win and somebody's got, got to, to lose, lose yeah. as opposed to can't we find a way of us all winning? Mm. Uh, uh, and that uh, you know you provide something, I provide something. So that was great. You were you were learning from these kids and being paid, and being paid fantastic, pretty poorly. But you know <laughs> that was a sacrifice. <laughs> that was a sacrifice in itself. And I only mentioned that because I think, in general, you know the the teaching vocation and you know the the, the, the stress and workload that those teachers have and 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 what they do it for is is still something that I find incredible in terms of like you know yeah. how we measure someone's worth and you know it's um it's not an easy job to do so my hat gets tipped off to anybody that goes in day in day out, day out to a school um working in in those environments it's, isn't um, it it is so i was thinking about this the other day as well with obviously we're we're all open to these kind of thoughts as we live through this terrible pandemic and I think, isn't it odd that we, people we value so much, you know, like nurses, nurses like yeah. teachers, yeah. Like, you know, people, and we pay them so badly. Yeah. It's kind of odd, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not having a go at estate agents, but, you know, no, I don't. <laughs> I might not. I, I I've got a few pounds at estate agents. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not, but, but, you know, how much they earn for yeah. doing something that actually is really relatively easy. I'll show you. A, but... It's odd, isn't it? And do you wonder, in this environment, in this world we're living in today, that that, that a, a switch might have clicked? We might be looking at things in a different way yeah, and I, valuing I, them differently? I think in 2020, you'd hope that our, our in sort of significance and importance uh, for those particular people would definitely be more, you know, front and centre and and valued in the right way and and their you know how much they earn reflected in 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 that way as well i just think if 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 there was a year to sort of recognize that sort of imbalance it's definitely this year this year yeah you know teachers and nurses are they're front and center surely for aren't they just but also yeah you, you know doing what you were doing it wasn't just you know i'm teaching in a nice school and the kids are learning a bit of geography yeah. and a bit of history <laughs> you wish. were there with with kids with learning difficulties and and uh, you know being a teaching mentor or, or, or however you want a learning mentor 
you were tackling really, really difficult, difficult problems and difficult yeah. kids. Yeah, um, you know, everybody from vulnerable children, so children that had uh, child protection issues, to children who obviously had learning difficulties. Um, it was really quite wide, and I often felt like I'm in the deep end here in terms of how do I meet them at their point of need. Um, because it's social work as well. You're working with them, working with mum or dad, what's going on at home. You're trying to work out if they've eaten this morning, you know, if there's neglect, you know. Behaviour is a language that we all use to, to speak about what else is going on. And particularly with children, they use behaviour as a way of communicating other things. So it, it does require uh, an approach that, is almost like a detective you're trying to unpick why they're playing up in this class because a lot of times they are intelligent they are bright um but for whatever reason they're not able to in 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 a sort of regimented way you know uh comply and that might not be their fault mm. so it's about working out what's going on and giving all the pieces to the puzzle um and presenting them on the table for them to make the, the right decisions to support. As them. you say, detective work. It is. I, I really had a notepad. Incredible. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you I felt like Colombo at times. <laughs> Just one more thing. <laughs> Just as you're going out of the door, you literally, turn, you turn around. Yeah. Did you have the raincoat? No. Don't I had a coat. <laughs> I had a coat. It wasn't. It was a high vis jacket, and I had Love a um, a walkie-talkie. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely you know, let me get a pencil you know tell me talk me through what happened and that was my go-to line what happened yeah rather than you know just taking what the teacher said or what someone else said it's always well tell me from your perspective what happened mm. and then from there you can kind of you know it's a, it's a good starting point that's great isn't it because they feel about, heard yeah they they, they 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 listen to you're yeah. you're standing in their shoes so yeah. to speak and saying totally. well you tell me yeah totally. that's great so there you are. You're you're doing this amazing job, a learning mentor. Yeah. And then you sort of think, I've got to develop my music career because music is very important to me. Where did that and where did that all come from? Where did the you, um, did well, you... what was happening is this this duality was going on, in that I was by day wearing a high vis jacket with a walkie talkie, but by night doing gigs, and um, you know my career was picking up. And I was very keen to keep the two worlds separate. I, I, I felt like, right, I'm, I've got my sort of behavior mental hat on when I'm at work and I engage with that. And then when I'm on the stage and I'm doing my music, you know, I'm very much, you know, Joel Culper for the artist. And I kind of wanted to, to keep them splintered. But what was happening is that the worlds were just colliding <laughs> ridiculously you know crashing into one another um and it, it kind of you know in good ways as well yeah. in that i was going into work with you know people sort of scratching their heads by going i think i've just seen some stuff on social media with you performing in germany last week is that right are you a singer and it just catching on within the school yeah. that i perform and then once they discovered that I was on YouTube and the kids knew 
about me being a singer, you know. Your the, credibility, my credibility went, just went through the roof, didn't it? You know, and it's, it's so weird. I want to be in that class. Can I, I be in that class. <laughs> yeah, I I never thought of it like that. I never mm. thought that they'd even be interested or cared that I did music in that way. Um, but they did. They really did, and they, you know, became you know a bit of a fan club for me. And then in the music world I'm sort of doing all these sessions with all these sort of amazing producers and I never forget a conversation I had with um Guy Chambers who I met literally through a party I was at a party and he was playing piano and I ended up going to this random party I didn't know hardly anybody there and this guy invited me who I just met that day he was tailoring a suit for me and he was like, I think you'd really enjoy this party, Joel. I think you should come. I think it's the sort of thing that you would really get a lot out of. So I was like, cool, I'll go. And um, I got there and uh, this really, really nice gaff. I think it was Primrose Hill. And um, Guy's playing piano and he's got a little band, a singer and guitarist. I think his son's on drums. And it's quite, you know, sociable and chatty and yeah. people are eating and drinking and stuff. And the guy who invited me to this party, he was drunk when I got there. <laughs> right. So he's Andy. literally like blasted. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know anybody here. And he's drunk. Oh, no. This is horrendous. Oh, no. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm I'm working out when I can leave, basically, yeah. you know, calling the Uber within 20 minutes. I'm going to drop shoulder and, and, and kind of get out of there. But he had approached Guy in that time and got in his ear and said, he's a singer. So Guy quite, you know, brazenly, um, and I've got to know Guy really super well over the last few years. Um, he came up to me and was like, so I heard you're a singer. And I said, uh, yeah. So then he said, do you fancy a go? <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, uh, what do you know? And he said, I know everything. <laughs> That's not a bad answer, is it? I know. I Never know forget it. This is how <laughs> this is how it ping ponged back and yeah, forth between yeah. us. And um, I said, "Do you know Prince?" And he said, "Yep, let's go." And um, we sang. I sang "Purple Rain." Oh, what a great song! And it honest, it was such a magic moment because I sort of stepped up to this mic in this, as I say, random house in this party and. I started singing Purple Rain and it turned into this, it, it turned from a sort of gathering to a gig. And people just flocked towards this kind of kitchen stage that we had made. And I'd finished and I actually felt quite self-conscious because there was a singer before me who was performing and I sort of gave her the mic and she sort of stood back and was just like, no, you're all right, mate. And Guy just jumped off the piano. He was like, you've got to know more. James Brown, Michael, who else do you know? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah. let's let's go for it. So I'm having these sort of really weird events happening outside of being a learning mentor. Learning mentor, yeah. And the following day, I remember sort of escaping this party thinking, I've sang three songs off the top of my head and dominated this party. And I felt like I... I was probably too intrusive. I was quite self-conscious. And uh, I, I I left. But before leaving, this really attractive woman <laughs> asked for my number. And I was like, oh, okay, 
And she's like, not like that. I'm Guy's wife. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You so thought, I like, I'm in with a chance yeah, here. Then all of a sudden, yeah, the rug's pulled out from underneath Literally, I was feet. like, oh, right, oh. cool. And she um, was like, Guy's got to work with you. So the following day, I get a text and it's from Guy's wife. And she says, what are you doing for tea? Um, so you, they, like, you like tea. We know that. We've yeah. established you like tea. I love tea. Love yeah. tea, yeah, yeah. Um, but this was tea in the sense of dinner. So they invited me round for dinner the following night and I went round there and they were just completely fascinated by the fact that they hadn't heard of me before, but also that I was working in the school. Mm. And I think it, it started to give me information about the two worlds and perhaps I shouldn't keep them from one another. And whenever I was in sessions with different artists and producers, I would say my full-time job is working in a school in a school as a learning as mentor. a learning mentor kids who regularly hit punch spit bite you know you name it i've experienced it um which kind of gave them an impression and i suppose context for me as a person and even our approach to certain songs and then in the school setting starting to trickle out amongst the children mm -hmm. that were you know but the lovely thing there is you weren't going to sacrifice one for the other. You brought them both together mm. to kind of go, they, they, they help me in, 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 you know, I'm helped in either way, yeah, which is I wonderful, mean, actually, yeah. isn't it? I never looked at it like that, um, but it did. It did inform one another, it did sort of, but it became, uh, it became overwhelming mm. in that I was, I was literally touring and working and... Um, I felt like I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a teacher that, that taught with my words. I wanted to speak with my actions. I felt like that was more impactful. If I'm 10 or 11 and I've got this behavior, mentor influence, you know, in my life, I think by what they do is more important by what they say. I think what they say actually might go in one ear and out the other because I'm 10. But if I know that Joel's left work because he's pursuing music full time, I think, and and manages to be successful. I think that's more of an impression. Yeah, actions speak louder than words. Totally. Don't they? And I yeah. thought, you know, I sat in an inset meeting one day, and um, I sort of looked around the room, and I'd been at this school for now four years, and I thought, I've got to go, I've got to leave, I've got to. It, it's now. It's this, the time is now for me to talk a bit more about that 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 sacrifice of going I've done this uh, I've now got to move on did, did was it a difficult process though? Yeah. what was it what what happened what um, I mean we know the, the the great session you did yeah. and meeting chambers and the kind yeah. of, but there's something else happened what clicked in your mind I think the realization that you know time had you know I didn't plan on being there for four years at all I just almost like it, it blinked and, and there it went and I, I just I did struggle to leave because I did make such important strong relationships with those children and teachers and they had supported me throughout that entire period they had championed me they was like Joel you know we'll come to the gigs you know they started coming to the shows the teachers I'd always give them a shout out and there'd always be a cluster of the teachers you know, even though they've got to go to school early in the morning, they'd be at the shows, you know, and it was great. And 
it gave me a sort of normal footing um, and grounding that I think um, you need in the music industry. I think there's so much to kind of balloon you that you do need anchoring and the school and that environment did that. You're listening to Sacrifice and Success, a podcast brought to you by independent media agency Electric Glue. You know, people often say to me, what's the definition of creativity? And, and it's, you know, there are many definitions of it. And I, I always say, well, you know, we're all creative. That's yeah. one of the things that makes people, humanity, amazing. We are creative. That is something that we must all remember. And I've always described it as an expression of self. Mm. That actually when you're being creative, what you are is you're expressing what you feel and do. And so often, and I'm listening to you here now and you're saying, this is what I was feeling. And I'm putting that into my music, which in my view makes it even more powerful because mm. it's a, an expression of someone's point of view, which makes it brilliant. Thank you, mate. Yeah. It, no, it does. I mean, I think that's very important. I mean, there's lots of stuff out there with, you know, I want to hold your hand. Yeah, yeah, baby, love you, baby, you know. And, you know, okay, it's quite nice. But it just goes, like you were saying about what some teachers do, it goes in one ear and out the, the other. other. Yeah. It doesn't stick. Why yeah. does why do some things stick mm. and other things don't? Because you feel that that artist, and we're all artists, yeah. or as somebody once said, we're all artists, but some of us shouldn't exhibit. That's a different point. <laughs> That I'm stealing. <laughs> I've stolen it. So yeah, yeah you, it's yeah, for you. That's brilliant. But, but that sense of saying, you know, believing in yourself and saying something is fundamentally important to your creativity. Totally, and that's yeah. what you and that learning that you got mm. from from being a mentor with the kids and everything and taking that into your work. So there you were. Yeah. You've made this decision you've yeah. again sacrificed you've left this wonderful world i mean wonderful in the sense of what you were doing is mm. profound and and i could sense that you had a great connection yeah. with those kids and there was obviously a, a feeling within you that is it right for me to leave them but you've got to move on you yeah. know everybody has to sort of make a decision that they've got to, to move on so you moved on you had this party and then tell us tell us how that evolved <laughs> um it became a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest, in that in that period, in that, you know, um, I started touring. Um, I'd recently done a show called Colours, which is in Berlin, and um, it, it it sort of went crazy in terms of, it, you know, it becoming a viral thing. So people had seen me perform on this show. Uh, by the way, you can go on YouTube and, and you watch can, that. You can please, watch it. Please do. Please do. Um, go I, on, think, Joel, I yeah. think because I was shirtless at the time and there's other <laughs> things that maybe encourage the views. But um, Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. It was definitely expression and I felt free while, while performing. But I, I didn't expect the wave that came as a result of that. And I, I was still working at the time, but I definitely was on my way out. And... Um, we sort of rode that wave um, by going back to Germany, um, you know, Berlin, Hamburg, Frankfurt, Mannheim, and then, you know, Switzerland and Paris. And I mean, all these sh European shows just started popping up out of nowhere. And, you know, I just, I just, yeah, I, you know, myself, my band, um, we started appearing at festivals and, 
I had a really amazing moment at Glastonbury on West Holt stage um, with another artist that I work with often, uh, Swindle, and he brought me out and it was just an incredible sort of run of so gigs. Played Glastonbury already? Well done it really, Thank, Moved, yeah, it was, <laughs> what's uh, left? <laughs> headline Glastonbury, that's what's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, headline, okay, all right, okay. Yeah. Um, We're moving on to the next but, stage, at the next stage of his career, yeah. headline Glastonbury. Um, by the but, way, if you heard that, Mitch Glastonbury, just you know, yes. Joel Culpepper, please, exactly. thank you. Come on, guys. <laughs> Come on. Um, Go on. But yeah, it, it you know, in terms of the next thing that happened, it was it was it was more shows and finishing an album, and I was keen to do a record. I'd done EPs before whilst working, but the the sort of love and I, I guess the appreciation for the album and what that means for me as an artist was an important staple that I wanted to do and get right. And I and spent I, two years on it. So, uh, yeah. And I and I said to you, you've called it, it's a Sergeant Culpepper. Yes. And, and I said, was that a nod to the Beatles, Sergeant Pepper? And you said it was. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, just it being a concept album and, and what that means and it having a story, it having a narrative running th through and these themes that I've I've sort of touched on throughout the record I felt like it can resonate with people I understand that we're in of a time and age where you know LPs albums are not celebrated in the same way they were in the 60s and 70s but I feel that there is a, a wide enough audience there are artists participating in those ideas still and one thing that I was being informed with by performing out is that the demographic of people that were coming to see me was quite mixed in terms of age. So, you know, this particular gig in Birmingham, I remember the front being sort of like mid 20s women, mainly front. Not bad. Not bad. And it helps when you're ripping your shirt off and singing in terms of like, I've, I've had it where guys are looking at me like, don't do this to me, mate stop <laughs> and I'm thinking well you're at the front I can't help you um, but this show at Birmingham had that sort of age at the front and I just remember this these group of blokes and I would say they were mid to late 40s early 50s and there were about 10 of them and I just thought you strolled into the wrong venue that was my natural that was where you were go going to you were thought thinking, yeah and um, they lingered after the gig and uh, I could see they wanted to chat to me. And I sort of stayed around and I spoke to whoever wanted to speak to me. And they, you know, came up to me and they said, um, Joe, I'm not sure we're meant to be here, mate. Uh, and I went, what do you mean? And, and one of the blokes said, well, I don't know if we're a Joel Culpepper fan, as in like your usual fan but we just love your music. And again, that kind of How was brilliant. a moment oh. for me to understand that this resonates with more than just people that want to see me take my shirt off or a particular age. And I think the concept album and doing an LP in the way I've done it is also for people that want to access, you know, the, the artists that they grew up listening to and loved and kind of gave them that detail within music. I think that's a fantastic story. And I think it, you know, for me, what that says is that 
when you do something that comes from within, you know, when you're telling a story, when you're talking about your world in a very personal way, actually, believe it or not, it opens up to a whole range of people. Totally. As opposed to this is just a style of music that yeah. you like or you don't like. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, I think that's a lovely observation that you've made there, that these guys turned up, didn't think they should be there, listened to what you were saying. You were telling a story. And mm -hmm. that became powerful. And, it, and the other lovely thing about that is it's timeless. Yeah. It doesn't rely on... Well, you know, it uses drum and bass or whatever. I don't know, yeah. you know, whatever it is. It's yeah. about something very personal. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, why are we still going to, to, to see Romeo and Juliet written yeah. by William Shakespeare yeah. in 16, whatever it was? Yeah. Because yeah. it's a profound mm. story. Mm. And I think what you're doing with your concept album is exactly that. You're telling a story. And that we've kind of, you know, and I'm, again, I'm going to say we've sacrificed that for the instant hit. Mm. that people get now oh, I can download that tune that, uh, that song I, da, 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 and I, I don't listen to any more I, I go on to the next thing and Spotify gives me you know 10 yeah. other songs like that like it yeah. you know and you kind of well maybe you want something that's a bit outside that yeah. maybe you go to something else yeah. and, and it opens your world up and we've we've sacrificed that ability to expand because we're so focused on what we think we like mm. as opposed to experiencing new things so this is uh your, your new album it's yes. going to be out next year next year yeah which is very close it's, very close, yeah. <laughs> it's about three Ma weeks march, away, actually. march hopefully. march yeah hopefully yeah. and uh so i can download it i can you can stream it you stream can, it. it will be on an lp you know there's a there's four chapters within the album uh the battle the surrender the love and the lesson love it and um you know, each chapter will reflect a different piece of art. So even within the LP, it's those things that I sort of gravitated toward the concept record is sort of looking through the vinyls and seeing yeah. amazing artwork. And just the, as I said, the detail that went into that world that they immersed you in, that identity you felt instantly when uh, hearing those types of albums and Sergeant Pepper um, by the Be by the Beatles, um, you know, it sort of, it does that. And it also, it's not about the genre either. You know, it doesn't lean on, you have to like rock and roll, you have to like this, you have to like that. I think you just appreciate the art because you know the art's been put first. And I think that's yeah. what resonates with people. So I kind of wanted to do my best attempt at that. That's beautiful. That's, again, an expression of you. That yeah. was an expression of them. And you've decided on the artwork for the album, or is it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's nearly done. Um, you know, with the title Sergeant Culpepper there, uh, the, the pressure is a bit on in terms of making sure it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's as great it's, as yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, 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 it sets an impression, but yeah, I'm, I'm confident. It is um, It is brilliant, that, cool. isn't it? That we, we've, I, I think, in a way, music has been diminished by not having that sort of visualization around it. You know, mm. I mean, I, you know, I was lucky I grew up in the 60s and for yeah. me, the 70s, you know, and, the, and you know, you can say, you know, like you say, Sergeant Pepper, and I, I've got a, a picture 
totally. Peter Blake picture yeah. of the Beatles and, and that cover. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm a great jazz fan and I love Blue Note. And, and I can see yes. Blue Note. I can yeah. not only hear it because yeah. all those great musicians, but I can... I can see it, and the, therefore the Monica, the, yeah, the logo, absolutely, yeah. the graphics yes, and the way they did it, the typography yeah. and yeah. all of that, yeah, yeah. and it becomes so expressive. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, Pink Floyd, Dark mm. Side of the Moon, and mm. and that, and you go, wow, we've lost that in a way, haven't mm. we? Which is great seeing you come back with a concept album, Sergeant Culpepper. Remember yes. that name, um, and <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna look out for the uh, the album when it comes out. So that's going to be in March. Yes. And uh, by then, hopefully, we'll all be vaccinated. Somebody okay. said to me, John, uh, uh, are you going to take the vaccination? I said, not only am I going to have it, I'm going to have it in both arms if I can have it. Because, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to that point. I've got to get out. I can't, you know, it's just too bad. I can't bear it anymore. I do love my wife. I do love where I live. I do love her. But I want to get out. I want to just, you know, spontaneity has been taken away from us. So, so. This COVID world that we're living in, Joel, you, you, you've you dealt with it. Obviously, your music has been an outlet for you. Yeah. Um, you haven't. How do you see the future then? What do you What do you feel about the future? What do you feel about what's happening and what's going on? It's um, it's been an interesting year to say the least. It's been uh, it's been difficult, man. And I think creatively, it's also been difficult because I think the impression that people have who are, don't do music is that oh you've you've got all this time to make music now that you're at home and um yeah you do but you know you make music because you're inspired you don't make music because you've got time and i make music in the cracks of life you know i find the time to make music around life and that's what informs music is experience going out being going out, out there meeting totally yeah. you know so with the lack of that happening you're not inspired to write and you're not inspired to make music and you know this sort of you don't know what's going on and i think that's the general theme i've felt this year is that what is actually happening we don't quite know um having said that you know i did manage to finish the record in terms of the mix master getting it to production and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about it coming out next year. God willing, you know, we see um, things return to as normal as, as it can. And, you know, I can start doing shows again and, and start inviting people to these shows. And, you know, that whole experience being a musician, you know, I live for it. And it would be really, really cool to start experiencing that again and living in that. Yeah. I think that's a lovely message because, you know, we, we're constantly reading about how, isn't it great? We can all work from home. We can stay at home. We don't have to travel. We don't have to. Do, and you can see all these tech companies selling that like yeah. there's no tomorrow and you can Zoom and Google and yeah. hang out and all those things. But what makes life wonderful is those interactions, those yeah. incidental interactions. We don't know when they're going to happen. You don't know how you're going to be inspired as you walk down the street and you see yeah. something, you hear a sound yeah. and you put, oh, that could be good. That's something you don't know. And yeah. this is the terrible thing I feel that is happening at the moment is this the danger that this pandemic will diminish us mm. as people. 
because we aren't interacting with each other. Mm. And that sense of, oh, it's wonderful, we don't have to go into the office. And, you know, we, we've got to have those interactions. That's totally. what makes us Humans, absolutely, yeah. that's what inspires us yeah. and makes us great. You know, I worked in advertising and I used to say, you know, I, I, I work in advertising, I don't live in advertising. Mm. I, I bring the world outside into yeah. what I do. And like you, you don't, yeah. you know, you work in music, but you don't live in music. You bring the world outside into your music, which makes it, you know. Have you ever watched Mad Men? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you just said advertising, that's it. Yeah. That's the <laughs> that's picture a, I had in my head. That's the picture you got of it, yeah. This, it was, uh... there, was a, there were bits of that that were accurate. Yeah. The, the only thing I complained about Mad Men, but the ads were so bad. Yeah. You know, that, if if yeah. I'd been doing the show, I think it, he, I'd made him make better, better ads. Better you know? ads. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been more interesting. Yeah. But here you are now, you're on the, on the cusp of, of, of a, a, a fantastic career opening out in front of you. That sacrifice you made, to get into music, to, yeah. to teach kids, how that has kind of helped you. Um, is there, you know, what do you, what, what do you, do you, do you see the kids still? Do you? Yeah, well, actually, I got one of them involved in a music video that we got to shoot um, just after the first lockdown. Um, yeah, he plays a younger version of me, which was pretty cool. Oh, so um, I'm still very much in touch with that school and I want to, I don't know to what capacity I want to continue to work uh, with uh, kids and, and sort of provide that influence. I definitely know I want to still do that in some way. Um, give them access to what I'm getting somehow for them to just see it yeah. and just know that if they want that, they can have that if they want it. But I there. think that the lovely message that you're sending out here Joel is that you're saying we have these incredible kids they don't learn in a conventional way they learn in perhaps a slightly unconventional way yeah. so uh, and who says that's unconventional you know yeah. it's just it's just different from us. Yeah. and that we've got to recognize that music and understanding how they relate to things can be a powerful force for teaching and we should never deny that and and that we have this asset in all these incredible kids that we're wasting if we don't find how to help them express what they can say and i think mm. as a learning mentor you've done that you're doing that now with your singing and with your music and um, i think you're an inspiration so uh, oh, we geez. want more joel Culpepper's in this world uh, but you've got to, you've got to you've got to get his album when it comes out in march and uh, where are you next performing oh you don't know yet do you I don't know i'm actually gonna see a venue today um that has quite a, um, a good history in ha in welcoming some legendary rock and roll and soul artists through its doors so i'm gonna check it out see are we allowed to know which one it is or um no, do don't have to. That? I'm not sure. No, okay, that's no, no problem. No it, problem. It's, it's definitely cool, and it's definitely something that I feel people will again understand the kind of career that I'd like to have and yeah. what I'm trying to say through my music and the people that I'm. You know, we followed a very, you know, detailed blueprint of producers and artists that, you know, produce great albums. Mm. So I. We went to the, the Motowns, we went to the Quincy's, <laughs> we went to, um, you know, all these amazing musicians that took their time 
um, and they made the music in the right way. They involved real musicians. So we stayed in a residency. We got people involved that we felt were the best of the best that we could we could get. And that's who's a part of this album. That's Well, that's brilliant. I mean, surround yourself with talented people. Surround yourself with yeah. uh, people who want to work together and to do something great. Uh, and hopefully you will do something great. So, Joel, uh, we asked you to bring in a quote or a poem about sacrifice. And um, why did you choose this piece? Um, well, I chose it because I, whilst doing the album, I made a scrapbook of the process and I took pictures and notes and kind of built this book um, about the making of the album and Sergeant Culpepper and what it kind of means. And it does definitely involve sacrifice it involves me as a person and i thought it'd be appropriate to kind of recite that as it opens the scrapbook yeah go for it okay um <clears throat> young kings do foolish things but in the pursuit to be self-made our losses become wins our conflicts mature us love worn on sleeves define us our foes can shapeshift from one person to internal however Embracing the responsibility we've been given will strengthen our premiership and inspire the people we seek patronage. There can be no expectations, only the moment given to deliver our all to the things that excite us the most. When we understand how fragile life is, ironically, is when we will be most powerful. Wow, Joel, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. Uh, Likewise, in mate. Inspiring, inspiring. And, and as I said to everybody, uh, Sergeant Culpepper coming out in March yes. it's going to be brilliant listen out for it watch it it's going to be fantastic Joel thanks for everything you've done um, for those kids uh, and for your creativity just okay, brilliant mate. thank you very much cheers <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of Sacrifice and Success a podcast brought to you by Electric Glue an independent media agency that uses the art of sacrifice to help brands navigate a complex media world. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Next month, we'll be talking to Gail Porter about the sacrifices she's made to be where she is today. Until then, goodbye. This podcast was created by Soho Radio Studios.